This is Ed Voices from Education International in Brussels. Global news, opinions and more from professional teachers, educators and advocates dedicated to policy education for every student. This is Madeleine Kennedy-McFoy, Coordinator at Education International Secretariat in Brussels. And I'm here today with Diane Wolleschuk, who's currently the Chair of the EI Status of Women Committee. And we'll have a short conversation with her as we think about um, International Women's Day this year. So, hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. So, uh, I have, uh, I think, just around four questions for you. Um, the first one is uh, really, as we take our lead from the UN Commission on the Status of Women, um, this year the focus is on the economic empower empowerment for women and girls. Um, EI, together with the other global unions who are going to participate in CSW, are going to be sending a strong message, um, starting from International Women's Day, that uh, a woman's place is in her union if we're serious about securing economic justice. Can you say something about the benefits that women teachers can expect to enjoy when they join a trade union? Well, I, I, as I was thinking about it, it seemed to me that it fell into what I would call the three V's and the three P's. So I'll go through those. Uh, the three V's to me are voice, value, and visibility. Uh, as we know, unions are democratic, and because of that, women are able to give voice to their beliefs, their vision for how things should be, their concerns in the workplace. They're able to advocate for, for change, for improvements, and for transformation in their situation. And they're able to join their voices with other women and other workers throughout the union movement to push for that change. Higher salaries, worker protections, employment insurance, pensions, benefit plans, the whole nine yards. Um, I think unions uh, help us to value the work that women do and to make the issues and concerns related to their work visible, whereas often, um, you know, when women are working in non-union contexts, uh, their work and the, the importance of it and all of that can really be dismissed or be viewed as unimportant. Uh, and those kinds of attitudes are, are really harmful to women in the workplace. So a good example for me uh, that's currently uh, the focus of uh, a lot of attention is unpaid or underpaid domestic work, you know, work that has simply been it's just assumed that's women's work, even though it's of great value to the economy, um, it's just been dismissed really as, as uh, unimportant. And as we know, sexual harassment or abuse, unequal pay, precarious employment practices, have all uh, are are being brought to light and then addressed through the work of unions, along with with many other uh, considerations, obviously. And then when we get to the three P's, I would say that's protection, power, and then progress. Um, protection comes about through that uh, that collective action of unions that you're not acting or at least attempting to act on your own, that you're there with that uh, group. Uh, in collective action to achieve change. And also through that wonderful, powerful labor right, collective bargaining, uh, securing improved workplace standards, economic 
well-being and social protection, such as improvements in salaries, benefits, and pensions through collective bargaining. And I think it's really important to realize that the gains that unions make in worker rights and protections through union advocacy benefits the entire economy and society because it influences workplace standards, salary and benefit levels more broadly. And it also brings about a, helps to bring about at least, a broader social discourse around social justice and what is in the public good. So unions advocate and act with that strength to advance human rights throughout society. And the last P I would mention is, uh, is that, or the last two, that there's power in that collective action and it brings about progress in achieving change to address the concerns of women in the workplace and in society more broadly. Uh, I know during my career as a teacher I've seen uh, first of all, gra- vastly improved uh, salaries, pensions, and benefits for for teachers. Uh, the extension of paid maternity leave to a full year in in my country, Canada. The implemental uh, implementation of supplemental employment benefits. The introduction and expansion of paternity leave because that's also of, of great concern uh, to women. And then recently there's been progress in negotiating paid leave for dealing with domestic violence. So that's beginning to happen. And I think this is how we can truly say that unions are able to accelerate the economic empowerment of women. And that's why a woman's place is in her union. Great. Thank you, Dan. So um, a second question, focusing now on um, the newly agreed sustainable development goals. We are uh, into the second year of implementation of the new goals, um, which includes separate goals on education, on gender equality, and on decent work and economic growth. Um, These are three key areas for EI and EI member organizations. How hopeful are you that the world will achieve these goals by 2030? Well, I think there are good reasons for hope. Um, This is the first time ever that governments globally have set a deadline for achieving women's equality. Um, The three SDGs you referenced are broad, ambitious, and comprehensive goals, much more so, I think, than the Millennium Development Goals that had existed previously from 2000 to 2015. Mm-hmm. And as implementation gets underway, work on the goals has the potential to create momentum for women's equality that we haven't seen before. So those are our reasons for hope. I know the UN has set up a, an expert panel to work on, on uh, you know, overseeing and, and uh, organizing and creating that uh, progress towards these, these goals on women's equality, gender mm-hmm. equality. At the same time, I have to say that my hope is is tempered by um, developing social, political, and economic trends. I'd say the first one, and it's much in the news right now, is the growth of nationalist and protectionist forces in many countries. Mm -hmm. That really has the power to erode the consensus around the SDGs. That's how they were developed, was through negotiation and consensus building and a sense of a common purpose shared across many nations, many governments, over several years uh, to bring these about. And it seems as though there's uh, a division at work, and that that is not going to help with the implementation of the SDGs, any of them, but I think uh, particularly not the one around women's equality, if that were to 
continue. Um, questions remain around the funding of the SDGs, and I think funding is a key area. Uh, but it has been an area of concern since the goals were adopted. And now within the political environment I just described, you know, some national governments are talking about giving more attention to their military budgets. Uh, that means fewer dollars for social protection, for health, education, and obviously key initiatives such as implementing the SDGs. Uh, it's really, uh, to me, worrying considering that if you took just a very small fraction of the annual global expenditures on arms and weapons, uh, you know, you could meet the SDG for education uh, <laughs> very easily. Uh, but uh, this, to me, is an area of concern. And then growing privatization of public services. Uh, we really have to keep uh, a very close eye on. I know a lot of work is being done uh, to counter that, particularly in education. Um, uh, but, you know, government's actions don't always necessarily line up, necessarily line up or are consistent with their commitments. So, uh, for example, we have the governments that signed on to the SDGs and the one for education says, you know, inclusive, publicly funded, universal um, education, and yet uh, we see the expansion of low fee-for-profit schools in some parts of the world, and the those schools really work against achieving universal, free, publicly funded, inclusive, high-quality uh, education for all children, and particularly girls, and yet we see that happening. So the uh, the um, idealist in me <laughs> does have hope, and uh, I certainly uh, know that the, the work of many to see the realization of those goals inspires me with hope. At the same time, I think we have to be very aware and conscious of of the um, the challenges that we face. Okay, thank you. Um, now uh, to ask you a little bit to think from your own, whether it's provincial, district or national perspective, what would you say are some of the most urgent issues relating to gender equality within, within education at the moment? Well, I'd like to focus on two. Uh, as I was thinking about it, I, I thought about, uh, and certainly this is important, you know, ensuring that immigrant girls are uh, doing well and being well cared for and well educated in the um, in the publicly funded education system and uh, I know that uh, schools and the education provincial education systems and territorial systems here as it's organized in Canada have been uh, working to uh, to ensure that the funding is there uh, for that to to happen but if I had to pick two uh, two concerns, two urgent issues. I would say the first one is the education of Aboriginal girls and more broadly uh, Aboriginal children uh, really needs to be a priority provincially and nationally. Now, in my, There are things that are being done. In my province uh, for about 10 years now, Aboriginal ways of knowing and uh, also treaty education have been integrated through the curriculum. Uh, and so that's uh, that's a, a really positive step forward. However, provincially and federally, there's a great deal of work to do. Uh, First Nations schools, which are funded by the federal government in Canada, 
need to be funded equ equitably with provincial schools, and that has not happened. It hasn't been the case for well over 20 years. Hmm. Now, the Canadian government has pledged to provide equal funding, but that has yet to materialize. And then the second uh, issue that I would raise is, is a much more general one across the country, uh, but that of protecting and fostering the status of the teaching profession. In my country, and I think in, in many others, uh, teachers are generally women, like 70 to 80 percent of teachers in Canada are women. And uh, government austerity and accountability regimes have really had an impact on the teaching profession in our country in terms of at least attempted deprofessionalization, loss of autonomy, very challenging workloads, and uh, a stalling of uh, progress on uh, compensation, you know, salary benefits. Uh, we've really, through in collective bargaining, had to work hard to, to maintain uh, what we have. And so this, to me, is, uh, is a very important area of concern because there has been a tremendous amount of work done to advance the status of the teaching profession in Canada over, you know, decades, over the last hundred and some years. And we certainly don't want to lose that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, and a final question. Um, the last quadrennial survey that EI ran in 2014 uh, the findings showed that, although, as you just said, uh, as the case in Canada, globally speaking, women are also the majority of the members in education trade unions because they're the majority in, in the profession. However, they're generally poorly represented on the leadership of their unions and associations. So what kind of strategies do you think women in education unions could use to make real change happen on the issue of diversifying the leadership of their unions? Well, that's a very good question. I think it's a, a profound question. Um, the uh, voice, visibility, valuing, protection, power, and progress that I mentioned a while ago, to me, all need to be there within the union in order for them to be expressed, if you like, outside of it and to achieve change uh, in the society. So how do you make that happen? Well, on the large scale, uh, I think women have to be supported in their agency for change within their own unions. Women's equality has to be set, a, set as a top priority uh, with measurable goals and targets for women in leadership positions, exercising power within that democratic structure of the union. So union leaders, whether they're men or women, really need to take action to provide support for creating the opportunities for women's participation and also for directly addressing barriers to participation, whatever those might be given the local context. Um, I think policy support and policy development to uh, focus on women's equality in the union can provide an opportunity for a broader discussion among the membership of the union as these policies are developed through the processes that unions would use to, you know, put those principles down on paper and then have them uh, discussed and eventually endorsed by their, their union membership. Um, I think there's an opportunity there to, uh, to do a lot of education and awareness raising about women's equality and the importance of women's equality 
within the uh, the workplace, within the union, and within society more broadly. And this would be an opportunity for all the members of that union, not just the women, to be able to engage in that kind of work and in those discussions. Because obviously there needs to be support from the entire membership of a union to be able to push this forward. It doesn't mean you have the support right at the beginning, but by the end of it, one would hope that uh, that, that support, by the end of these processes, one would hope that that support is, is there much more broadly. And, you know, this can contribute to a change in the organizational culture of those unions that that's ends up supporting women's equality. On an individual scale, I'd say that it's important uh, to foster women's leadership. Uh, talk to women about opportunities that exist for them to exercise leadership, and not just once. Often, you know, when, when, uh, we, when we look to invite women to encourage them to uh, become active and to participate in the work, uh, the leadership work of their union. Uh, you know, they may not say yes the first time that we ask. Uh, they will probably want to reflect about it. They'll want to take time to um, speak with their families, to uh, maybe do some research to look into it. They'll want to really think it through and maybe put some things into place so that they can respond to an invitation like that. So it's important to not kind of give up, to encourage, 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 and then when uh, these women do step forward, to mentor, 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 and keep doing that so that uh, uh, you, know, you can build, uh, uh, build up the number of women leaders within your union. And uh, I think it's important also to continue to monitor progress and to keep revisiting these things. I know in, um, in uh, my own national uh, federation, uh, a number of decades ago, there had been women's committees and, uh, you know, with a focus on women, working on women's issues. And then at a given point, there was a belief that, uh, well, maybe we don't need this committee anymore. And so the committee was disbanded. And, uh, well, I'd say about 12, 13 years ago at uh, our annual general meeting, there's a group of women who came together and said, you know, we think given what we see occurring and some of the things that we, we would like to advance, ideas we'd like to advance, we think we need that women's committee uh, in place again. And so uh, that, uh, that action was taken. And it really it's been an opportunity to work on Issues such as, uh, you know, human trafficking and in particular the trafficking of women uh, to look at uh, uh, worker and labor rights within the workplace, particularly with a view to see how the progress of women in that area and many, many other uh, issues that are uh, of importance to us and to society more broadly. So we need to always be, be looking to see uh, where we are and where we need to go. Great. Thank you very much, Diane, for really interesting and thought-provoking answers. We look forward to having you again on our podcast series. You're welcome. Thank you. This was Ed Voices from Education International in Brussels on the web at ei-ie.org.